My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we journey through the Word of God. And we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be looking at chapter 25 today. Chapters 24 and chapter 25 of the Gospel of Matthew are two parts of the one message that Jesus gave to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, and it was just before he was about to be betrayed. These are the last words of the teachings of Jesus recorded by Matthew, and fittingly, they are all about when he's going to come back and what he was going to do as far as his judgment would be concerned and the things that were applicable to them based on their understanding up until that time. Now, Jesus knew that he was going to be rejected, which means that at this time he knew that there was going to need to be a church era In other words, an era where he was rejected by Israel and there would be an era of the church where then Jesus would come back for his church. That would be the rapture. Then there would be the period of tribulation. Then Jesus would come back for his people because they'd rejected him once. And so we get to the end of Matthew chapter 24 and we see that Jesus has talked about He's coming back and he's continuing on. He's just finished telling a couple of parables and he's going to continue on telling three more stories in this particular chapter. Now, let me just say this. I do understand that there are different interpretations on these scriptures. I understand that. This is just my studied opinion. It's just what I believe. I, 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 I It's my considered study uh, but I understand that people have different opinions on them. And if you do, that's fine. Let's all love each other, have grace and mercy with each other. Uh, I'm not trying to risk anybody's salvation by any of these things. Uh, I, you, you and I need to be saved by grace through faith. And, uh, we need to have the ability to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior and believe that God raised him from the dead in order to be saved. And so I don't want to, uh, to do anything to take away from that. Uh, When we get to Matthew 25, Jesus starts the very first verse with the word then. So in other words, there's a timeline. Then, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. What is the then time? This is the time now in the tribulation. This is after the church has been raptured. And Jesus is telling the disciples for the nation of Israel, this is what that seven years is going to look like. That's what this is applicable to. This is Israel in the tribulation. So he fittingly starts off with a parable about a Jewish wedding. That fits what he's trying to say. And he starts off, he says that uh, those should be like him, 10 virgins who took their lamps out and went out to meet the bridegroom. And we understand that this is Jesus painting the picture here for us understanding how Israel was going to behave in the tribulation and how they would be judged in the tribulation. 
Now, there were three stages to a Jewish wedding. At that time, there was an engagement, which was a formal agreement that was made by the families. There was the second part, which was the betrothal, which was a ceremony where mutual promises were made. And then third was the actual marriage itself, which is usually about a year after the uh, betrothal. And that's when the bridegroom would actually just turn up at an unexpected time for his bride. That was the tradition. After betrothal, usually around a year, the bridegroom just turns up one day. It says, right, today's the day. Poole says this, when the bridegroom came, the bridesmaids who were attending the bride went forth to meet the bridegroom with lamps lighted to conduct him and his companions into the house and to her who was to be the bride. So why 10? That was a common size of a wedding party uh, in uh, 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 Talmudic uh, authorities tell us that. Usually there would be 10 lamps in a bridal procession. So in this parable that Jesus is telling at the start of chapter 25, the first two parts of of a marriage have already taken place, the the engagement and then the betrothal. Now we're talking about the marriage. So they're just waiting. These are the bridesmaids waiting for the bridegroom because they have a role to help prepare the bride on the day. Now, let's move on to uh, verse 2. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So some in the wedding party were ready. They were wise. They, they, they were prepared for the coming of the bridegroom at any time. They knew that that was tradition. And then some of them were foolish. Uh, they all slept. It wasn't like only half of them slept. No, uh, no they all slept because the bridegroom was delayed. And while the foolish and the wise maidens both slept, the wise ones were prepared to act immediately as soon as there was an announcement that the bridegroom was coming. The foolish ones were not prepared. The foolish ones had their lamps, but they had no oil to put in the lamps. So they really weren't ready at all. The wise virgins were ready. So, When does he come? He comes at an unexpected time. Midnight. What kind of groom turns up at midnight and says, yep, the wedding's now? Isn't it supposed to be like three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon? No. This is the point Jesus is trying to make. He came at an unexpected time. The wedding party has to immediately prepare by lighting the lamps. It's the first thing they have to do. And they didn't have any oil for their lamps. They they had nothing that they they could do. So what happened to them, the foolish virgins? 
They go off to try and buy some and the door gets shut. Now they can't come in. That's a very severe penalty. They were not allowed to come to the wedding and the door was shut against them in the strongest terms. What is that? That is for Israel at the end of the tribulation. See, God has told us in in his word that there'll be seven years between the rapture and when Jesus comes back for his people. Comes for his church in the rapture, comes back seven years later for his people. But there will be some of his people who won't believe it's going to happen. Why? Because the second half of the tribulation is going to be so bad for the nation of Israel and that they'll actually be forced to flee from Jerusalem that they're going to forget. Some of them are going to forget that this is even a timing event. And they're not going to be ready, even though they'll know. They'll know that they'll know he's coming. It's written in the word. And the penalty will be severe. So he says, watch therefore, for you do not know the day which the, the hour of the Son of Man is coming. So the price for failure for them, for the bridegroom coming, uh, is going to be quite high. So then we move on to verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Now, this was not a strange idea at the time that Jesus was telling this story. Uh, servants who were slaves were often given a lot of responsibility, and that was actually the best thing that a, a wealthy man could do with his money would be to leave it with his slaves and his, his servants. And it was the best way for him to ensure that there was something when he came back. Now, why is Jesus talking about this? Uh, This parable takes up the questions that we ask that we have to address. Um, France says this, this parable takes up the question which that of the bridesmaids left unanswered, what is readiness? So, what is readiness? How, how, how will they know they're ready? How will Israel know that they're ready? And how will they know that they've been a steward of the talents that God has given them during that seven-year period? So a talent was not an ability. We talk about you know ability. Now, you can equate it and we use it as, as, as a parable. We use it as you know the parable of talents about what we do with our actual talents. But the word talent in this context does not mean the talent, oh, you're a gifted, you're a talented tennis player. No, it means an actual weight. It wasn't even a coin. It was a weight and, it, and its value depended on, on whether the coinage was uh, copper, gold or silver. Now, they were given each according to their own ability. The servants were given different amounts of money based on their ability. Uh, so one servant received one talent, but it was still a lot of money. It wasn't a little bit. It was equivalent to multiple years of wages, just one. So it wasn't like the person who got one only got a tiny little bit. He actually had a lot. Everyone received something and everybody received a large amount. Just the, the, the one that had got five talents got a, a lot. So then we move on to verse 16. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it 
in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So each of those who received the talents from their master did whatever they thought was the best thing to do. Two of them traded them, made more money out of them. Uh, they went and actually had a positive action step with the money that was given them. They understood their full responsibility. Uh, we don't know how they traded. We're not told in the story. Uh, they could have loaned the money for, you know, at interest. We don't know. Maybe they uh, bought things and sold them for more money. But th- what they did was they doubled their, the amount that they had. They worked quickly and promptly. They worked with perseverance. They worked with success. And they were ready to give an account to their master whenever he was going to turn up. But the third servant does almost nothing with his master's money. Um, he just basically made sure it couldn't be lost. So he dug a hole in the ground and put it in there. But he actually did nothing positive with his master's money in contrast to the first two servants. This, this, this holds as we read through what some of Israel will respond to Jesus in that time of tribulation, knowing that he's coming back at the seven years. And then others won't. And they won't use it. They'll just be like, yep, okay, he's coming back. They won't do anything positive with the knowledge that they will have. So then we move on to verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came, a long time. Those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, look, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. And his Lord said to me, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So some Servants may have felt that there was such a long delay in the master coming back that maybe he was never going to come back, so they would never have to give an account. But the two who were positive stewards, they knew if the master says, I'm coming back, he's coming back. That's the same for Israel. Israel is going to be, is, is being told, Jesus is coming back. So he says, you've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. The reward was the same for both servants, the five and the two. Um, And they both did the best they could with what they had, which meant that there was an implication for them. Remember, this is Jesus. Remember remember that Matthew is a Jew and is concentrating so much of his writing on allowing the Jewish people to understand their role with the Messiah and what he was going to do in the future based on what he told them. So that means, if we look at that, that there is an opportunity for those who are of the house of Israel, God's people, at the end of the seven-year tribulation to make it through to the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Now, this shows that Jesus is looking for an opportunity to say to his house, his people, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I've got all the answers for this. 
because Romans 11.26 tells us that all of Israel shall be saved. I don't know how that's going to work it out. I don't know. I just know that, that God made a promise and a covenant with Abraham. He made promises to David. And Paul wrote about the promises to the nation of Israel being saved. How that's going to play out, I don't know. What I do know is that there are requirements of the nation of Israel during the tribulation period. And the very first thing the master did when he came back is he looked for the character qualities, not the specific amount of money that the servants had made. So he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. There's a place of joy for these servants to go to. They're invited to join the master in this place. Now, that's a reward to those who are of the people of Israel who acknowledge Jesus is the Messiah during the tribulation period. And there will be a millennial benefit for them. Their position in the millennium, millennium after that will look different. So then we move on to verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Interestingly enough, the master judged each of the servants individually. And the servant who buried his talent uh, tried to excuse himself because the, the, in his mind the master was uh, a you know a, a person who wasn't generous. He was selfish. Uh, he was not going to do anything worthwhile for the servants, which means he didn't really know the master. And and this again, this will be the same for Israel. There will be a people who, when when the rapture comes and the church is gone that there will be Jewish people of the house of Israel, the people of Israel, who will realize they were right. Jesus was the Messiah, and now we've got to be evangelists for him. And then there'll be parts of Israel who say, no, we, we still don't believe that. So this servant, knowing that the master's coming back one day, just buries it. And... I think he, the way Jesus tells the story, it's all—it's almost as if the this servant smugly says, well, there you go, now you can have what's yours. You gave me the one, I dug it in the ground, here it is again, throws it at him. He almost seems proud of himself for not losing the money. Now, he didn't try to steal the money. He realised that, that you know he had to give an account of it. Uh, and he thought the master would be fine with him just giving back what he had given him. He didn't have any understanding of how much it was going to displease his master by not doing anything with it. He didn't think, he didn't work, he didn't try. Uh, he, all he did is make excuses. Verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. 
and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you noticed how many times we've seen that phrase over and over again by Matthew uh, as we've gone through this particular book? The condemnation of this third servant where he's called a wicked and lazy servant is a very strong piece of wording. It, it, it was it was condemnatory of his laziness. And I think sometimes we don't see laziness as a sin. But it is something that we need to repent before the Lord. We need to repent. The 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 people of uh, Israel are going to need to repent of it, those ones who, who become lazy about whether they do what God asked them to do. And we could say that this particular master didn't have a proper fear or reverence of his master. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. In other words, you should have done something positive with what I gave you. For to everyone who has, more will be given. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. There are those who will have things in that seven-year period, like the servant with one talent, but they will hold those things that God has given them in such a way that it's as if they had nothing at all. And so whatever they have will be taken away. The ones who have been faithful, to them more will be given them. Cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. Because he was a wicked and lazy servant, the third servant demonstrates that he wasn't really a true servant of the master at all. And it's fitting that he be cast out of the master's presence. So just as there was a sense of destiny for the two faithful servants, there's also a very strong sense of hell in the destiny for the wicked and lazy servant. Now, in the larger context of Matthew chapter 25, the main point of this parable is clear. Israel's readiness for Jesus' return is determined by their stewardship of the resources that God has given them and what they do with those in that seven-year period. So I think we'll leave it there for today. Observation uh, that I think we can take out of this, and uh, is 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 something that I think we don't think about enough, which is that God asks us to do things, and not doing them is a sin, and that's called a sin of omission. It's where you omit to do something, you don't do it, and then there are sins of commission. There are sins where you do something you know you're not meant to do, and. That's no different for us as it will be for the people of Israel. When God asks us to do something, we don't do it, that's a sin. When God asks us not to do something and then we do it, that's a sin. And that's the same for us and it will also be the same for the people of Israel in that tribulation period. So I'm going to leave it there and then we will move on to verse 31 in Matthew 25. Now, remember... Matthew 24, Matthew 25, all together. It's called the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus' last message to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. 
before his betrayal. So we're going to go through all the rest of chapter 25, and then you've got 24 and 25 to read and study all together. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day. Thank you.